You're listening to episode 67 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and spring training is full of questions, including yours. So we decided to answer some of them. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. It is Tara and Alex together again, but I just want to once again say thanks to the plethora of guests that fill in on the show on a somewhat regular basis. I believe Ben Godar was named BFF of the show last week without me. So, I mean, that's cool. I'm I'm happy to let that be the case. But seriously, thanks to everyone who has listened, who has joined in, who has been a guest on the show. It's been a lot of fun over the course of... Uh, a full season now, uh, the second off season. And Alex, I have to start the show by asking, we are now in the month when real baseball happens. Are you any more excited now than you were a week ago? I actually am. I okay. am All right. starting to, you know, I flip my calendar over to March. I have one of these little neat Cardinals calendars that my sister-in-law gave me for Christmas um, and it has all the games on there and so mm-hmm. I can look at my calendar and see an actual game that that's a real game uh, right. not a spring training game and that's happening in about three weeks and that that is kind of sneaking up on us so yeah I, I am kind of excited I, I will say though I don't think the season has started yet uh, okay. I, All right. I think the, the the fans want to know, no, so well, I had to ask. Y- you know when you would go back to school, uh, let's say in late August. Uh, so the students would go back, and that's when school started. But before the students would go back, I, I always feel like like a week before that, like the teachers would go back and like yep, get their rooms yep. ready and stuff like that. That's what this is, I think, right now. Uh, Okay. Like, no one right. would call that, like, the school season, the school year has started because the teachers are there, like, you know, filling up the fish tank or, or whatever. Uh, but we're close, I think, is is the point. It is. The, the only difference is, with baseball, you get plays like Colton Long made that feel like they should be instant classics, that no one's even going to remember because it was spring training. There's a video going around. If you missed the game on Tuesday, the spring training game against the Astros, there was a play, I believe in the first inning that Colton Wong made defensively diving stop, flipped it up behind him to Paul DeYoung to complete the double play. That was unbelievable. And Alex and I were talking before we started recording, like, does that count? Does a play like that in spring training count or is it just like a thing that happened that you don't really get to take credit for (laughs) it's it doesn't count and it's almost annoying for two reasons one you don't want him to get hurt (laughs) and two (laughs) true true. uh, i I don't know you feel like you want to save all those good things for the regular season Uh, like really how many of those can you have in you um over the course of a year you really want to say those, but it right. was an amazing play. Like he was on the other side of second base and quick. Fl- I only watched a couple of times, but a quick flip to Wong, who then turned to, and man, they're so good at turning that double play. It's so fun to watch. Yeah. That middle infield is, is interesting in the way that they've developed that sort of rhythm together, because it wasn't like that initially. And I think it, to some degree, not to go off on this tangent, but there was some element of just inconsistency in how much they were playing together and 
what that looked like. But man, it's been fun to watch those two turn into such a strong duo defensively. It's been fun this spring to see Paul DeYoung look like he's made some significant upgrades, at least at this point. But it's hard to really take too much from spring training results. That said, we do have a team to talk about and there are things to look at. There are conversations to be had. And despite the fact that spring training, I don't know about any of the rest of you, but it's a little hard to keep up with for me because to some degree you feel like it doesn't count, but also because it's all happening in the middle of the day. And if you have any sort of schedule that keeps you from just watching baseball, all day. (laughs) It's hard to keep up and it's hard to read every story and it's hard to really feel like I need to be all in paying attention to this at this point. So uh, Alex, I'm sure there are a lot of storylines I have missed, but to, uh, to combat that we sourced, we outsourced some of the work for this show and asked our friends and fans and listeners on the Twitter's to, uh, to give us some conversation topics, things that they find interesting at this point in the spring, <clears throat> things that maybe haven't been talked about to death yet, like perhaps Dylan Carlson. I don't know. I think there's still a lot more to be said there, but it's certainly one thing that a lot of people have talked about. So we are going to dive into some questions from the audience, Alex. And one of the things that has come up actually does relate to, to Dylan, Dylan Carlson. So Let's set that up a little bit. There's been this idea that he won't break camp. He's not going to be one of the starters. He's playing kind of out of his mind. Should he be a major leaguer instead of going back to Memphis? Let me just start there. Do you have a, a yes or no answer to whether Dylan Carlson should make the major league roster out of spring? I don't. I, I really don't. I wish I had a more confident concrete answer of where he absolutely should be i know there was a time a couple days ago where he had not made an out for like uh almost like a week or something (laughs) i don't think it was that long but i really don't i i I mean hmm so so let me add this little twist in there if he were to make the roster would he play every day and does that factor into whether or not he should be on the roster? Yes. Yes. All right. So are we assuming, stipulating whatever, that by asking that question, you're saying he is one of the three best outfielders. And the question hinges, the question of will he play hinges on, will he play ahead of someone who, you know, not only outranks him in seniority, but someone who is getting a much heftier paycheck than him. Yes, that seems to be the crux of this. Will the Cardinals play the contract over the talent, and does that affect someone like Dylan Carlson? Yeah, so we're we're talking about like Dexter Fowler, right? Because you know he's the one making sixteen million, um, and Carlson is not. And Carlson's having, from what I understand, a very good spring, and Fowler is not. Uh, I would. I, I think the fact that the team kind of stood pat this off season, which is fine. Um, it, it, which is fine. Assuming they really believe they have the team that can win the NL central. And if you think you have the team that can win the NL central, um, that means playing your best players every day, uh, especially when 
it's not going to be easy like we've seen where the Cardinals are projected in a lot of uh, systems. And it's not, they're by no means the runaway favorite. Um, in fact, in many cases, they're the opposite of that. And, you know, let me say something real quick about Dexter Fowler. All right. And we're talking about a guy who is probably approaching 6,000 plate appearances, a guy who is going to be in his age 34 season, a guy who's been worth um, over 20 wins above replacement for his career, making $16.5 million. I know there's some people out there who probably think like, you know, this is an albatross or that's, you know, we can't afford to have someone making that much on the bench or not playing every day. In my opinion, a guy who's had a career like that, who's put in that am- amount of time that and has produced that well over the course of his career, that's exactly how much someone should be making in that position. Someone who's kind of like in that middle class of ball players. So I don't care mm-hmm. if he is not playing every day because of that contract. Like, like to me, you know what? Great. You're, you're kind of an old guy. Now you're making your money. You deserve to be making your money. You've had a good career, but it's time to give Carlson a shot. And you know, you know, it's so weird because Fowler's second season really did screw everything up with this contract. Uh, I, I should know. I always feel like I have yeah. to uh, tell everyone that I was big on signing Dexter Fowler. Uh, Likewise, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I was. I've been a little surprised at how how poorly it's turned out. Although other people who are not big on signing Dexter Fowler seem to have seen this as a possibility. Uh, but his first season, he was, uh, you know, he hit for a decent power. I believe he had his highest slugging for his career was a was a well above average hitter um last year he was about an average hitter um his second season though he was one of the worst hitters in baseball if he had instead of been that instead let's say instead of that he had been somewhere in the middle of his first and third season i don't think we'd really have that negative feelings about this um, and, and we'd kind of be looking right. at the contract right. playing out almost exactly as we expected, right? Which is going into his fourth or fifth season, he's now either going to be just an average hitter or possibly a below average hitter. But man, yeah. that second that second season, there's just no denying it really did screw everything up. And you know, a lot of people want to blame Matheny, and and there's probably some merit to that. But we have to blame Fowler a little bit as well. I mean, he, he is the player. Uh, I really don't know what I'm getting at here other than it just obviously has not worked out with Fowler as we had all hoped. That said, he could still be very much a guy who produces for this team. I don't, if Carlson really is one of the three best outfielders on this team and that very well could be the case, I'd rather Fowler be the guy who's getting about 300 to 400 plate appearances a season and Carlson getting around, you know, 550. It's an interesting thing, too, because there will inevitably be some sort of direct comparison between those two. But as we talked about last year in sort of the return season of Dexter Fowler, Dylan Carlson and Dexter Fowler don't really profile as the same kind of hitter, right? So expecting the same kind of results from the two of them is a little bit misleading. But nonetheless, the point remains, if your best mix of outfielders includes Dylan Carlson, why wouldn't you let him play over someone that isn't in that best mix? I want to read a a tweet from Derek Gould today. 
that was more in relation to Matt Carpenter, but it kind of plays into this conversation. There was a a tweet about um, an article, actually. It was a tweet along with the link to an article. And the initial tweet said, headline, professional baseball player gets playing time because team has paid him millions to perform. There was some follow-up discussion and this sort of back and forth was, you know, if if the team wants to win, they should play the best players, not just the one that's the ones that are getting paid the most. And Derek Gould's response was, the team reveals who it thinks will be the best player by committing money to that player. The Cardinals believe that Matt Carpenter will produ- produce to his contract and thus their choice is their option. They have revealed their opinion. So the same if you fill in Dexter Fowler with Matt Carpenter, this you sort of give a contract based on how you see that person fitting into the mix. I, my question is, first of all, what what do you think of that logic, this idea that, well, obviously the team is going to play the player that they believed in enough to give a big contract to so that the player is doing what they paid them to do. It's, a, a, it's sort of a convoluted way of saying that. So my question is, what do you think of that logic? But also, should there not be some sort of adjustment to that kind of base opinion when they don't play up to the contract? I don't think much of the logic. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're not going to be throwing Brett Cecil out there if he's not producing right. um, ahead of someone like uh, Giovanni Gallegos or who knows who else um, because we signed him to what four years, 34 million. Do you remember what that contract was? I, I don't remember. Ooh, yeah. It's been um, a while. I tried to I, stop thinking I, about I really how apologize much money that was. <laughs> what I just said is way off, but uh, you, you know, they're not going to do that with Brett Cecil. I don't see why you would do that with someone who has so much more of an impact on the team than a relief pitcher. I, I think Bernie Miklas made, kind of almost the exact opposite argument on an episode of seeing red last year, which is like, if you want to get the most value out of a contract that's turning bad, you don't play the guy. Mm -hmm. It it almost creates negative value. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's worse if it's worse if you're playing him only because you're paying him and you have better options on the bench because then you're making the contract even worse. Like, you know, look, bad contracts happen. Uh, you, you know, even Fowler's contract is not that bad. Right. You know, right. it's not like, you know, we're sinking 22, 23 million into the guy, uh, you know, per year. And like I said, it's, it's about the type of money you would expect a guy to be making who's had the career that he's had. So, yeah. One, the contract doesn't really bother me, the fact that he's, that he's making that money. Two, even if it did, even if he was making you know, some, some amount that made our heads turn, I, don't, I still wouldn't advocate for playing him just for the sake of the contract. Now, it's easy for me to say because I'm not the one who's the one, you know, I'm not the one who's paying him. But look, it's not unheard of for for a guy to sign a five-year contract like this, four-year contract, and for him not to play as much on the back end of it. Right. You know, especially as he's getting up to age 34, age age 35 or whatever. It's not, 
it's not insane for him not to be an everyday player. Uh, my hope is he is an everyday player because he's good and that yeah. he kind of has a return to that moment he had last year for a month or two where he was getting on base a lot and he was an ideal leadoff hitter, which is I think what we all had in our heads we had acquired when, when they signed him back before the uh, 2017 season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I've maintained this point all along, and that is that this team is actually better with a good Dexter Fowler. I think a a good leadoff version of Dexter Fowler does make this team better, and that's what you hope for. I I also, I'm not sure how relevant this point is to this conversation, but it's something that I always find really interesting in talking about contracts, because while I I understand the point that that Derek Gould was making in that, you know, a, a team kind of stakes their claim for a player with a dollar amount or a number of years. And that sort of says, we expect you to be important going forward. But the thing that's so fascinating and so complicated to me about contracts is that it's a contract for the future based on the past, right? So the contract, to your point, is a lot about what he had done in the past, not necessarily predictive of what he's going to do in the future. You hope that he can live up to some of those same things. You hope that he doesn't crash and burn as he gets older through the years of that contract, but it's still based on his past production in hopes of (laughs) gaining some of that future production as well, which makes contracts complicated. It also makes this conversation difficult when, you know, maybe a guy feels like, yeah, but I'm the guy you're paying to play that role. And then all of a sudden, there's someone coming up behind him, whether it's Dylan Carlson or Tommy Edmond, who we can talk about in a moment in relation to Matt Carpenter, who might actually be a better option at times. I just I talked a little bit about this with Daniel Shapta on our show Gateway to Baseball Heaven on Sunday nights, and he was a little irritated with this idea that there's no reason that could be explained for Dylan Carlson to not be on the roster. I think there are reasons. I just don't think they have anything to do with Dexter Fowler. And at this point, playing the contract over the talent is going to be a little hard to justify with the approach they took this this winter in believing in their young talent and then blocking them <laughs> with a contract. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I, I don't think we would care as much if they had made some big splash this winter and and i'm not saying that was something they absolutely should have done but let's say they had gone into this spring with like nolan arenado on the team or something you know we're probably not as worked up about this as we are right now but you know given that's not the case and the fact that carlson is doing well this spring and fowler is is not you know it's it's obviously where discussion is is going to go i don't know like i know i don't know i don't know what the resolution of that is either (laughs) i i want something to break right so fowler fowler's career in st louis whenever that comes to an end i'm assuming it'll come to an end after the after the uh contract is up and not before not after um but something happens so his career is looked back at fondly in St. Louis yeah. um, because he has had a lot of good moments here. Like the, he robbed that home run last year. Uh, yeah. The, the walk off home run against the Cubs 
during that mm-hmm. awful season he was having. Um, you know, it didn't help that he had such a dreadful postseason last year, but so did a lot of players on the Cardinals. You know, he wasn't the only one who wasn't hitting. Uh, so right. I don't. It would just be nice if he could have that sort of. Uh, I don't know. You know, a lot of Cardinals have a lot of Cardinals that we think fondly of have really good postseason moments um and that kind of helps secure (laughs) their place (laughs) yeah helps secure their place as a guy that you know fans will always like and feel good about and he deserves to have a moment like that it would and it would just certainly help i think everyone (laughs) agreed agreed and that's the thing i mean dexter fowler is such a likable person i think that it's it's hard to I, i don't know imagine a scenario where his time in St. Louis isn't remembered fondly where, you know, he was kind of that guy that, that blocked Dylan Carlson or, or whatever it is. Um, no one wants that to be the case. And and hopefully it won't be one because perhaps he doesn't block Dylan Carlson and two, because he's actually playing well and is contributing and, and providing value. So do we need to talk about Tyler O'Neill too here? Because he's another yeah. person who, I've never been high on Tyler O'Neill, but I also feel like I I barely know anything about his profile because of the limited opportunities that he's had. So he's another person who's kind of like in this log jam and, you know, he can be the person getting blocked by Fowler or he could be the person that we feel is blocking <laughs> Carlson. Yeah. You know, he can play both roles. I, I would like to come away after, I'd like for this season to come to an end and have, a better idea of who Tyler O'Neill is just so yeah. we can move on. <laughs> so, so that we can either fall in love with Tyler O'Neill or move on. Um, no, I think that's a great point. And the spring has been so important in that regard. I think the Dylan Carlson story has taken over a bit because he's been so impressive, but he's also played more than just about everyone else as well. So you're, you're just hearing more about him. You're seeing more. He's had more at bats. And he's certainly made the most of that opportunity. I think Tyler O'Neill has looked good. And there's sort of this feeling that the left field spot is his to lose. And I'm not entirely sure that's maybe the most accurate representation of the job at this point. Simply sorry, because it's, o- it's O'Neill's spot to lose? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, sort of in the absence of uh, Marcelo Zuna, it was kind of like, oh, okay, now it's Tyler O'Neill's turn. Now there, there is Lane Thomas and there is the Dylan Carlson thing. Um, there's still this underlying, where do you play Tommy Edmond thing, right? There, there's Ravello and where he fits on the roster. And there, there's so many guys in the mix, not necessarily for the everyday position. Um, but I don't know that that's as wrapped up as a lot of people maybe are, are kind of implying that it is. But that's what makes this spring so important for Tyler O'Neill is to prove what his role really should be. And then you hope that the the organization, again, <laughs> plays the the correct talent, regardless of, you know, the, the contract to some extent. I, I do want to talk about Tommy Edmund. Someone, I believe it was Graham actually, that brought up Tommy Edmund in um, the conversation on Twitter. Not as a specific question, just as a topic of conversation. So I am very curious about Tommy Edmund because we... <sighs> have heard this conversation or I've seen this conversation happening on Twitter in the last week or so about the expectations that are being set for Dylan Carlson and how kind of unfair that tends to be, at least with Cardinals fans. I don't know if it's the same way with every organization, but 
I wonder if there's an unfair expectation being set for Tommy Edmond as well, because yes, he was fantastic last year and at times carried the offense. There were other times where he certainly looked overmatched, like everyone else in that lineup did at times last year, standing in the batter's box, looking like they had never swung a baseball bat before. So it wasn't flawless, even though we sort of remember it in this fantasy sort of way. Is it unfair to kind of have that expectation of Tommy Edmond? I know we've talked about the fact that, oh, of course, he'll he'll play pretty much every day. He just might move positions. And that all seems to make sense. But based on one season, right, where he was that guy, is it reasonable to expect Tommy Edmond to be able to replicate 2019? Well, let's see. He got about 350 plate appearances last season. How many would you guess he would get this year? Because it's hard to say, right? Yeah. When, when you're not penciled in as an everyday player, we don't know where he's going to be playing. But d- do we see a situation where he's getting close to 450 or 500 plate appearances? I can't imagine if he's playing like he did last year, that he doesn't, right? Because he was sort of that consistent force for a lot of the season. Now, to be fair, our most listened to episode ever is the episode where we were like, I don't know about this Tommy Edmund guy. I'm not sure he's going to stick. Is that and when they were batting a leadoff? Yeah. Or second or something. Or, I don't remember or, what yeah, it was. But yeah, it was, it was a weird time. Very, very important at the time. Yeah, it, it certainly did. And, and it, I'd say it worked <laughs> worked out all right for Tommy Edmund. Um, but yeah, I, it's hard to imagine if he's playing like that, if he's hitting like that, that he wouldn't be a guy you want in the lineup to get to that 400, 450 plate appearances, Mark. But a lot of that is going to depend on other people too. And that's where, where I find it a little bit hard to predict or a little bit hard to, to pretend there's a good way to come up with that number of at-bats for him just because there are so many other variables, which is a weird position for him to be in coming off of such a great season last year. Yes, I think I always want to see him in the lineup when there's a lefty on the mound. Uh, but that's easy to say and harder to do. I mean, you know, if we're talking about Tommy Edmonds seeing a lot of playing time, that means we're not feeling awesome about Matt Carpenter having a rebound year. Right. Because we're not playing him regularly at second base. I, I can't imagine he's going to get much time at shortstop, even to like fill in when the young needs, um, you know, just a day off. I, there seems little reason to play him. Well, I was about to say there's no reason to play him in the outfield, but that's not really true. Right. That's not really <laughs> that's true. Gets, yeah. It's to, so to me, it's uh, like that this team and Tommy Edmonds role on it are wildly different depending on, what Colton Wong is doing, not necessarily whether he's good enough, but he's had some injury issues in, in past years. And if that becomes a factor, then all of a sudden Tommy Edmond has a regular spot. If Paul DeYoung continues to look better at the plate, like he has this spring, then he is going to play there pretty consistently. Although I think there's an argument to be made that maybe he played there too much last year and was just worn down by the end of the season. If Matt Carpenter does have a rebound year, look, 
there's still this idea that's wildly inaccurate that Matt Carpenter wasn't actually that good. Matt Carpenter was phenomenal when he was at his best. And even if he doesn't rebound to that level, I mean, he's still a guy that you want in in the lineup. And then if Tyler O'Neill is what Kyle Reese continues to tell us that Tyler O'Neill can be, you're going to want him out there as well. So that sort of dramatically limits the places on the field for Tommy Edmund to play, even though he's very much capable in any one of them. He, I'm looking at it right now. He took, he took uh, 42 plate appearances while playing right field last year, uh, third behind uh, third base and second base. So, what you can say about Edmund is he's wonderful insurance. He, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I feel in a way that, uh, you know, Wong is one of the more indispensable, you know, like if it wasn't for Tommy Edmund, I would feel like Wong is the most indispensable player on this team, but I don't necessarily feel that way because of Tommy Edmund. I would be more nervous if Paul DeYoung got hurt. Right, I think than than of Colton Wong. That doesn't mean I want Colton Wong to get hurt, obviously. But so he's just yeah, he's he's just wonderful to have around to be able to throw around out there. Uh, I don't know, man. Like it's so much. It's so you ever watch like an NBA game, especially like the Houston Rockets, and you're like, you know. 10 years ago, it was so much easier when there was like a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, a power forward, <laughs> yeah. and a center. Everyone now a everyone is like the exact same guy. Uh, everyone is between the heights of 6'5 and 6'8. And they just, uh, <laughs> um, you know, everyone, I don't know. It's, it's hard to even figure out where, where guys should go. This yeah. is a terrible answer to whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what the question was. Well, it was just like talk about talk. Hey, Graham, Graham needs to have a better question than just say <laughs> Ask Tommy a more complete Ed- question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't just say a player's name and then say we have to talk about him. We need a specific question. So okay. tell Graham next time he needs to actually ask a question. You can't just say a player's name and question mark. There you go. That's that's the not conclusion to uh, to Tommy Edmund as the, the subject we should talk about. No, I, I do think it is complicated and it's weird. I don't remember a, a time, at least in recent past, where the Cardinals had this kind of situation where they have a player who's good enough to play every day and they don't really automatically have a spot for him. I guess to some degree the whole contract thing comes into play here as well. But it, theoretically, if Matt Carpenter does in fact have a, a rebound season, then all of a sudden your options for Tommy Edmund get a little complicated, but he's definitely a guy that you want to keep in the lineup. I think, and, and all of this, I guess, <laughs> I remember what I said to start this conversation was the expectations of Tommy Edmund and whether or not it's it's fair to kind of expect him to duplicate 2019. And I think if anything, I don't know that oh, it's fair right, right. to expect <laughs> that, but if anyone can pull it off, I think Tommy Edmund can. Um, and I think the challenge is going to be on the shoulders of Mike Schilt, figuring out how to maneuver guys in and out of the lineup consistently enough that they stay sharp, but also allowing for maybe a little more rest for some of those regular guys than they got last year, simply because they didn't really have the option at times. 
So, yeah, I you reminded me of what that there was kind of an actual question, although I'm not sure if Graham asked. No, it, that was uh, my question. Yeah, Graham yeah. You, just you had, to, you had to add it. Uh, you had to help him out. So, no, I. He, Tommy Edmund last year per 600 play appearance was almost like a six one player. <laughs> That's crazy. He's not going to be, he's not going to do that, but I do think he's good. I do think he's a, uh, a legit MLB player and that he will find some role on this team and we'll be happy that we have him. But no, I don't think he'll be that good. All right. There you go. There's, there's an, a simple answer to a question about Tommy Edmund. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, someone brought up Alex Reyes and the fact that he has looked better and better in his consecutive outings in spring training. I don't know if you've had a chance to see any of it. I did watch his appearance today uh, on Tuesday, I guess I should clarify. And Man, it's so hard for me to not be excited about Alex Reyes because what he has is so special. And when he can get out of his own way and just relax and throw the baseball, that curveball, I honestly think it might be the one of the best curveballs in all of baseball when he's throwing it like he's capable of the fastball still lacks a little bit of command. He still gets in his own way way too often, but he did really settle down after that first outing of the spring where he looked like he was overthrowing everything. I don't know if there's any good reason to make anything of that other than to just say, cool, good for Alex Reyes in spring training. But is it, I don't know. Do you have do you have any strong feelings about Alex Reyes at this point, or is it just sort of like bonus if anything ever comes of that? I do not have any strong Alex Reyes feelings at all. It's I if I see him pitching in a major league game for the Cardinals. Let me say this: if I see him last through a couple months. Uh, with the Cardinals, I'll almost feel like I'm looking at a unicorn. I think I'll almost be <laughs> surprised that it even exists, uh, w- what I'm watching. Let, let me ask you a question about Alex Reyes. What would be, if I could say Alex Reyes will pitch this many innings and you can take it or leave it, meaning he won't pitch any more and he won't pitch any less, what would that number be? Like if I said I can, hmm. I'll make a deal with you. Um, Alex Reyes will pitch fifty innings. Take it or leave it. Are you taking that? Do you think he has the chance to throw that many innings? You know, in real life, and not this imaginary. Like you know, I'm like a genie who's going to grant you this <laughs> wish or whatever it is. Honestly, if you could tell me today that Alex Reyes would pitch fifty innings in 2020. I would absolutely take that because would, I think, right? yeah, maybe even 40. I think, yeah. I think that means that Alex Reyes is a huge piece of the Cardinals bullpen. Yes. Maybe, maybe in different roles as the bullpen inevitably right. shifts and grows and fails and rebuilds itself. I would be thrilled with that because I think that's a way that he could contribute. And I, I think that's interesting for me to say, because that's such a shift from, kind of where we saw Alex Reyes fitting in a couple of years ago. So to now be saying, yeah, 50 innings in a season would be fantastic. 
definitely emphasizes how that story has changed for him over the years. Do do we have any confidence? Is there any reason to think Alex Reyes, the starter, will be a thing? I would say not in 2020, um, simply because it's been too long since he was any sort of reliable. And the thing that's going to separate Alex Reyes, the reliever, from Alex Reyes, the starter, for me, is that consistency for more than one or two innings. And when your fastball command is a little off, can you adjust? Can you make do some other way? Do you have more than two pitches? Which at this point, he's really kind of just flashing that fastball to set up the curveball. And I think right now, what we're seeing from him profiles much better in the bullpen, either in, uh, you know, maybe a, a closer situation, maybe the, you know, kind of setup guy. He can go two innings if you need him to guy. But as far as Alex Ray is the starter, I don't think there's any reason to have that conversation until he proves that he can, you know, stick at the major league level for more than a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, do you take 25 innings of Alex Reyes? Um, uh, or, do you, or do you roll the dice and, and think he can get more? I I would take 25 innings simply because it would be a really, probably a really fun at least 20 innings to watch the other five might be a little sketchy. Um, but I, I would take it if, you know, that was, that was the extent of what we could get from Alex Reyes. But I certainly think that he's, he's capable of no, more no, than no, that. No, 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 You're cheating. The, we don't know what the extent is. That means if you're taking it, that means he's locked in the 25. He has 25 no and no more. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, there's yeah. no option. No, I mean, I would take okay. it. Uh, okay. I, I would take it if that's that's what we could get, but I do think that he's capable of more than that. Oh, so maybe you wouldn't want to take it. This but, is a, this I mean, is a dumb game. I, I completely <laughs> recognize this. But I mean, is it twenty five innings or nothing? Yeah. So what I'm saying so is, so if, if I get twenty five innings of Alex Reyes or no innings of Alex Reyes, I'm taking twenty five. What I'm no, what I'm saying is, I'm offering you twenty five innings of Alex Reyes. You can take it or leave it if you're taking it that means you don't think he's capable or he's probably not going to throw much more than that okay so 25 innings sounds like a good deal gotcha like obviously if i were to say you can have five innings of alex reyes you know do you want to get locked in at that you would probably say no gotcha it's like the do you want what's behind door number one without seeing it or do you want to move on to door number two correct and i yeah, yeah. i'll repeat gotcha. that this is not a good game <laughs> no but it is an interesting um thought exercise just in the the reality where we haven't seen alex reyes to know what is actually possible to know what he's actually capable of um so i i guess so let me put it this way if it's if it's 25 innings on the dot or pass on that and take the chance that he doesn't even get that many. I think that if Alex Reyes is at a point where he could throw up to 25 innings, he can throw more than that. So if it's, if that's with the parameters <laughs> of door number one, I would move on to door number two. Okay. Yeah. I don't so think, that's, yeah. That's the Alex Reyes conversation. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, the cutoff is around like maybe 
I think 35 innings is right where I'd start to be like, you know yeah. what? That's uh, yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's starting to sound pretty good. Although, right. But man, it's wasn't that long ago that he was like the second, you know, best prospect in baseball. So it is kind of tantalizing to think like, well, are we crazy? Why would we only, why would we want to get locked in at 35 innings when, you know, who knows, maybe this guy is still, uh, sitting on uh, just a fortune of, you know, wonderful baseball. Yeah. But I, I mean, think- it would be, it, it would be interesting to get, you know, to the all-star break with a healthy Alex Reyes, who is just mowing guys down and you need a spot start. <laughs> Do you, does he come into the equation? Is he in that mix or does he get locked into a reliever role exclusively for 2020? Mm-hmm. I, I just want him to eventually make some like a really make some really good money. I feel like he yeah he yeah he's earned it. He <laughs> deserves it. I feel so bad. For I him. just want him. I know. I just want him to have. You talked about Dexter Fowler and his time in St. Louis to be remembered fondly. I just want Alex Reyes and his time in baseball <laughs> to eventually be remembered fondly, not as the guy that almost was really good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's just too much talent there to to not continue to hope for that. And I think that's where I land on it every time. So hopefully um, that opportunity <laughs> presents itself for Alex Reyes and we're able to see some of that um, this season. However, however many innings that might be. I'm curious if you want to play along with this little game, how many innings would you would you take for Alex Reyes in 2020? Another guy in that mix, moving on, because I don't know where that's going at this point, Ryan Helsley. Another guy in the mix for potentially the closer role, potentially a longer reliever, potentially a rotation guy. No one really seems to know what Ryan Helsley is going to be for this team. And unfortunately, the reality for him might be that what he becomes is dictated as much out of need as it is out of his own skill set. But based on what we saw from Ryan Helsley last year, what would you like him to be for the Cardinals? Hmm. It's tough to say. Like he, he seems to fit the profile of a closer because, you know, he throws a fastball that, you know, can touch a hundred, you know, can touch a hundred, you know, has a good cutter, but he also doesn't really strike a lot of guys out though. Or at least he didn't in his, uh, and what did he throw about? 45 innings with the Cardinals last year, I want to say. Does that sound – hold on. I'm going to look at it right now. Uh, I don't remember the I'm, number. I am wrong. 36 innings uh, with the Cardinals last year. Um, so not a ton, but he he didn't strike a lot of guys out. Uh, induced a lot of fly balls, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing at, a, at Bush Stadium. Um, but – if I recall, what people say about him is he's able to maintain his velocity deep into games, meaning like as a starter. Yeah. And so, you know, what, what do we want from our starters? You usually want like what, about 900 innings pitch from your starters? That's pretty good if you can, or, you know, that's a decent number to get to from there. Do we yeah. feel like, you know, Jack Flaherty, obviously we feel great about Jack Flaherty. Uh, after that, and, you know, I'm, I'm pushing Miles Michaelis, you know, kind of off the page just because we don't quite know what's going on right now, or at least I don't. But after that, we have Adam Wainwright, Dakota Hudson, Carlos Martinez, and then Kwang Hyun Kim. I feel as though there's going to be a lot of leftover innings there. 
for yeah. other people, whether yeah. that's Austin Gomber, who from what I understand is pitching very well this spring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, looked great in his last outing. Yeah, and then there's Daniel Ponce de Leon, and then I guess uh, Ryan. <laughs> Who's also looked great. <laughs> okay, Is that right? Okay, so I feel bad saying this about Ponce de Leon, but I would rather see Helsley get a chance to start than Ponce de Leon, only because I feel as though I've seen Ponce de Leon, and I would like to see Helsley, meaning I, I don't quite believe that Ponce Leon can be that effective of starting pitcher. He's, he's certainly not bad. He's certainly valuable to have as a guy in the event you need a, a fifth starter. But I would like to see, I feel like I've seen enough of him and not enough of Helsley that I wouldn't mind seeing what Helsley can do. But again, the bullpen who knows what the freaking bullpen, what it's going to look like. <laughs> there are so many options for them yeah, right now. Yeah, we have Hicks out till what, at least July. And wouldn't surprise yeah. me if that gets pushed back some. So I don't know. It, like, I, I'm going to cheat. And I don't know. Well, actually, this isn't cheating. This is probably something I should have done uh, before we started and actually done some research. But what are people saying about Helsley? Like, is he... <laughs> do, what are they prepping him for? I, I know he pitched like an inning or two the other day, but they're not prepping yeah. him to be a starter right now, are they? It doesn't seem to be. It's always a little bit weird in the spring because you'll get guys who actually start a game who are clearly relievers and not starters. And then, you know, you hear, oh, you were going to stretch him out as a starter, but there's not really a spot for him there right now. So as far as Helsley is concerned, I, I don't know that there's really been an in an indication that he is sort of in the running should they need a fifth starter at this point. But I do think what his role is hasn't been defined particularly clearly. I I think in conversations about the back end of the bullpen, whether you want to call it the closer or, you know, whatever, however you, however you identify who pitches at the end of games or in the, the, most significant moments in games, at least. Um, I think he's been in that conversation as much as anything. And it's always interesting to me because I don't, Helsley's a guy that I feel like I have not seen enough of to have really strong opinions about myself. So I always just kind of defer to what Kyle has told me, defer to what other people have said about, uh, about Ryan Helsley, because what we saw of him last year was, fine mostly and he pitched in some really big innings and got some really big outs but there wasn't a whole lot of a book for me to see of ryan helsley the major leaguer versus ryan helsley the minor league starter so i it i don't know that there's a a definition to how he should contribute at this point but i could definitely see him the the back end of that bullpen has the potential to be really strong, and I may regret saying that <laughs> the first you know month of the season where they blow six saves or whatever. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but it's certainly possible with bullpens that you think are going to be good. And he's just one of several pieces that could, as they say, shorten games, which is exciting, even if it's not necessarily where he wants to be because he'd like to be a starter. Everyone wants to be a starter. Not everyone can be a starter. So like I said, I think it's a situation that's as determined by need from the team as much as it is by his skill set at this point. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's certainly the reality for a lot of teams. Yeah. I I would like to see him 
get that strikeout rate up just a, just a little yeah. bit. But side note on Ponce de Leon, I don't know if you saw the story, but apparently he spent like six thousand dollars this winter to work with Driveline, and I did see that he thinks that that's going to make him um, a major leaguer consistently, and not the guy that's always yeah. on the trip back from back and forth from Memphis. So that's awesome. Well, um, good for him. I hope. I hope he's right. Yeah, I mean, I I love the determination and the uh, drive that we've seen from, from Ponce this spring and over the winter. And man, he's another guy that I, I feel like I can't help but root for. And I don't know what that role looks like for him either at this point, but I would love to see him claim it and and earn it and be a significant part of this puzzle going forward. That is way more about spring training than Alex probably ever wanted to talk about. <laughs> Um, but I hope that we answered some of your questions, talked about some of the things you wanted to hear about. And if we didn't get to it, well, we're running out of time. So <laughs> maybe next time. But before we do run out of time completely, Alex, the chirp of the week. All right. Uh, first, I will say in defense of not watching spring training, I was listening to the Meet Me at Mutual podcast. And I heard Alan Medlock say that he uh, got upset when, you know, I think the Cardinals had a walk-off loss. Um a couple days ago, uh-huh. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, all right. Walk-off losses take so much out of me during the regular season. Like, I'm, I'll be in kind of a funk the whole next day if it's just a crushing loss that I don't have. I can't take any more. <laughs> and I'm not – like, there's only so many walk-off losses you can endure before your soul just kind of, like, leaves your body. So I'm, just I'm not shrivels up and dies. You know, Jaime Garcia, like, you know, he only has so many darts. You know, you want to use those in the majors instead of, you know – Right, yeah. right. Saving yeah, both. same thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> same thing here. Like, I, I get I'm it. only – I'm saving all of my, you know – I just don't have it in me to get upset about walk-off losses in, in spring training, so – that's another That's reason fair. Why, why I understand that. Watching. All right. Uh, <laughs> chirp of the week. Let's do this. Um, yesterday, for no reason really whatsoever, I thought about the play Tommy Edmund made in game one of the series last September against the Cubs at Wrigley. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it was in the bottom of the ninth when the Cardinals were in the process of blowing a 4-1 lead and a masterful Jack Flaherty start when Carlos Martinez was not having his best night on the mound as a closer, and he was coughing up the lead. And I believe it was Jason Hayward who hit a very hard ground ball towards Edmund. Um, and the reason why Edmund was even playing second base in the first place was because, what, Wong went out with a hamstring earlier? Is that what happened that game? Came up lame with something. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. I, I want to say it was mm-hmm. a hamstring, but I could be wrong. But anyway, Edmund's in the game, and he makes this he, – he does an excellent job of keeping the ball in the infield and only allowing one run to score. There's a chance another run could have scored, and that would have resulted in the Cubs winning the game, and that would have resulted in, you know, obviously Matt Carpenter not hitting a home run in the – top of the 10th, and who knows what happens with that series and the season if the Cardinals lose that first game, because that was just, that would have just been a crushing loss, probably mm-hmm. the worst loss of yeah. this, easily, in my opinion, the worst loss of the season yeah. <laughs> leading up to that point, although I'm sure I, I said that phrase probably 15 times throughout the course of the season, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that one really would have been bad. But anyway, it reminded me of kind of Ronnie Belliard's play 
in game one of the 2006 NLDS against the Padres in San Diego. A lot of people remember this play, but I, I will go ahead and set the scene. Um, it was October 3rd, 2006. Tyler Johnson had just relieved Chris Carpenter, uh, who had just relieved Chris Carpenter, who had started the game. He had thrown about 100, he had thrown 105 pitches. Uh, Todd Walker was at the plate. Cardinals were up 5-1, but bases were loaded, and it was a 2-0 hitter's count. And Walker hit a pretty hard shot to the uh, pretty hard ground ball to second. And Belliard makes a diving stop to, to clean to uh, field it cleanly and shallow right, and then throws Walker out at first um, with uh, you know throws him out by a couple of steps. And the throw may have been more impressive than the actual play. Uh, the play was good because he kept the ball in the infield, but I don't think anyone would have blamed him if he had not been able to throw him out at first. But he immediately threw the ball to first to get him out. And like I said, got him out by a couple of steps. It was a great play. And even though it was only 5-1, to one, who knows what happens there if, if they score two runs right there or, or whatever. And, you know, the Cardinals go on to win that series and they go on to win the World Series. And that also spawned the... Uh, the game ball that the Cardinals started doing that postseason, mm, yeah. which is they gave a game ball to whichever player they thought came up big in that game. I remember they did it throughout the rest of that series and also through the Mets series and then in the World Series as well. In fact, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, there was this great moment after game seven of the 2006 NLCS, which, you know, the, when the Cardinals beat the Mets, when Edmonds, who was kind of like the leader of that clubhouse, I guess, at the time, was talking to the team. You know, they had just won the pennant, and he was giving out the game balls, and he gave the gave one to Jeff, gave it to Jeff Supon because Supon had pitched an excellent game, kept the Cardinals in it long enough to where they could finally win the game. But then he said, "There's actually going to be one more as well." And then he started doing the Yachty chant, and the whole team. You know, jumped in and then, you know, camera pans over to Yachty and he has this huge smile on his face because he had just hit that (laughs) amazing two run homer. I wanted to watch this on MLB on, uh, you know, online, but you might be uh, surprised to learn that it does not exist anywhere online because MLB is hiding Mm. all of their content. (laughs) But that's really all I have. This is probably the least amount of effort and preparation I put into a chirp of the week because I only had like five minutes before we started recording. My kids are like going nuts. Like my oldest just had a sleepover last week <laughs> and the kid who came over brought a sleeping bag and my, and my son was so jealous of his sleeping bag that now he just wants to sleep on the floor <laughs> with his blanket and, and turn it into a sleeping bag and which means I have to oh. sleep on the floor and yeah, it's a whole big mess. Um, but there you go. Sorry for the uh, not the best trip of the week. But, you know, Ronnie Belliard, you know, he's always fun to talk about, I guess. He was only with the Cardinals for that season. And it was only for yeah. half the yeah. season. They picked him up for Hector Luna near the deadline or at the deadline. And then he was a free agent after that year and went elsewhere. And that was it. But, yes, thank you, Ronnie Belliard. I love a good defensive highlight, even if it comes in spring training, cold and long. <laughs> Um, but those are the things that get you remembered in St. Louis, as we talked about with Dexter Fowler. Gotta have a postseason moment, man. Just make it happen. But that will do it for us this week. Thanks for your questions or comments or topics or random player names that gave us something to talk about this week. 
We appreciate the assist. Enjoy what is to come this week with spring training. And next week, maybe Alex will be even a little more excited about baseball almost being here. You can circle it on the calendar and, and like glance at it every now and then. We'll be back to talk to you all about it then. He's Alex. I'm Tara. Thanks for listening. <laughs>